Hey everyone, it is Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I am here with Pastor J.D. Greer. And J.D., I feel like we're on a run of some tough questions. So, or just some deeper questions. I don't know, some how to read the Bible well on hard issues questions. We're, 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 we've been in the deep end for a few weeks here. We got, we got one more still in the deep end this week. Um, and this is just, again, it's a passage in the Bible that you read and you just wonder what in the world does that actually mean? How do I interpret that? So, J.D., you're going to have to help us with this. What does it mean that the sins of the fathers are visited on the third and fourth generation? Just what what is what in the world do we do with that? Uh, help us out here. That's actually a phrase from Exodus 34, 7, where God says that he will punish the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And what we should start with is what it clearly doesn't mean. The Bible says elsewhere, um, Prophet Ezekiel, for example, that it would be unjust for God to hold the children guilty for the sins of the parents because they're being held guilty for sins that they didn't commit. Okay. So, you know, what does it mean that they're being punished for it and how is that fair? Well, what it's doing is it's stating a principle that all of us see lived out, um, and that is the sins of the fathers affect the children. The sins of the leaders affect the people. We're going to see it in David's life. That actually is what gave occasion for this question, but we see it all through the Bible. I mean, if you go back to the very first um, book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, you know, one of my um, mentors when I was in seminary said every single major Bible theme is introduced in Genesis, and then the rest of the Bible kind of just explains those themes that have been introduced there. So take the Genesis story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and sold him into slavery, but that sin of Joseph's, that, that didn't come out of nowhere. Joseph, you see, had been the the son of Rachel, who had been his daddy Jacob's favorite wife. Jacob had showed extensive favoritism to Rachel, and Joseph was Rachel's kid, so the sons of Leah took it out on him. So, again, I'm not saying they're innocent. I'm just saying that they were actually responding to anger and bitterness over the sin that their dad had showed in, in, in playing favorites with Joseph. But Jacob's sin of favoritism, that didn't come out of nowhere either. You see, Jacob's daddy had played favorites too. His daddy, Isaac, had favored his older brother Esau because Esau was, you know, more a son to his liking. It was sort of a man's man. Jacob wasn't. So Esau, you know, he always got the extra piece of chicken, the last brownie for dessert. Isaac's eyes always lit up when Esau came in the room. He loved to brag about Esau to his friends. Jacob was the, you know, he was the other son. Well, Isaac's sin of favoritism multiplied into Jacob, which multiplied into his sons, which resulted in Joseph being betrayed and sold into slavery. And ultimately the entire nation of Israel being enslaved in Egypt. You, you see one small sin of favoritism by Isaac favoring Esau over Jacob multiplied into the death, destruction, and captivity of the entire nation. And so it's true that my kids are not guilty of my sins, but we just recognize my sin affects them. The son or daughter of the alcoholic, they're not guilty of the sin, but they, they're affected by it. You parents that are listening to me right now, I um, hear me on this. It's a sobering reality. Our sin affects and shapes our children. They learn and repeat our mistakes often to even greater degrees than we do. Yeah. Studies show, for example, that if you neglect your kids, they they likely grow up neglecting theirs. You abuse them, they often abuse theirs. Hurt people hurt people. If you're a workaholic, they grow up with identity issues that manifest in all kinds of toxic ways. If you're unfaithful to their mother or their father, they grow up with commitment issues of their of their own in their marriages. You fail to be faithful in your giving or you nurse a secret love of money, they grow up materialistic. They overhear you gossiping about or judging others or tearing them down in your home. They grew up with a critical and complaining spirit. They're self-righteous. They have problems getting along with others. I don't know about you, but it, it breaks my heart, y'all, when I see my idols replicated in my children. And I see it all the time. Things that have always you know, become a little too important to me that start to manifest in them. Now, I want to be cautious here because I don't want to be really specific because 
Uh, it's not that I don't want you to know my faults. It's that if you happen to know my kids, I don't want you to see something and then be like, ha, that's your, your daddy's sin. That's not fair to them. So let me just speak in general terms. Um, parents, if we worship the idol of success, that is, we think that being at the top of our field, making lots of money, that's required to be happy. Well, then your kid absorbs that and they grow up with that pressure of always feeling like they got to be first or best or top of their class in order for them to have any worth. You may not ever verbalize it, but look into your heart. If you think that the only way to be happy in life is to be rich and successful, if that's kind of an underlying conviction, I guarantee you that you are communicating that to your kid in all kinds of ways. You're multiplying that idol into them and that idolatry multiplies into all kinds of pressures and dysfunction in their lives. Um, or here's one, and this one might sting a little bit. If in your heart you believe that that a good marriage is necessary for happiness, we have a lot of you know godly, God-fearing women involved in church who would not consider themselves idolaters, but if you look in your heart, you actually think for a person to be complete and happy, they have to be married. To have happiness in life, it's not just discovering God's plan and living it out. No, no, in your heart, you believe there's no way to be happy and be unmarried. And because you as the mother or the father cherish that idol in your heart, your kid picks that up. And then if in God's sovereignty, they end up single or stay single for a long time, they think that life has dealt them an unkind blow or that God has abandoned them. Well, that's just your idol manifested in them. Parents, be honest. Do you think that God can give somebody a full and complete life without their being married? If your answer to that is not an immediate and unqualified yes, well, the marriage is likely an idol in your life and you're likely multiplying it in your kids and you're setting them up for heartache and suffering. How about this one? If you think there's no way somebody can be happy unless they look a certain way. So you want your kid to be good looking and fit? You're likely not cruel about it, but you know, your idolization of appearance leaks out in little comments that you make, little compliments that you give to them and about others, little remarks that you make about others, disparaging remarks or flattering remarks about how somebody looks or criticism about carrying too much weight. It becomes obvious to your kids that you think it's only possible to be happy in life or that your worth is dependent on looking a certain way. They absorb that idol and it multiplies into all kinds of dangerous fruits in them. Your idol is killing them. Or here's a really common one that I see. You want your kid to be an athlete because you grew up thinking those were the popular kids. So you you put sports ahead of church and your kids absorb that idol and it multiplies in them so that when they go off to college, they stop going to church at all. Your idol, your obsession, it multiplied into destruction in them. Mm. You tracking with what I'm saying there? I mean, yes. let me be clear. Am I saying that every sin we see in our kids is our fault? Of course, I'm not saying that. Our kids, especially as they get older, they are their own people and they make their own decisions. And thank God, sometimes those decisions end up being way better than the ones that we made and the ones that we modeled. You know, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Veronica and I cling to that in our marriage, that God is going to deliver them not only from their sins, but also from the influence of ours. That's good. But I am saying that there is a divine order to how God set things up. And stories like Isaac's and Jacob's in the Bible illustrate that sin works itself out according to the law of the harvest, or sin multiplies. What a man sows, Paul says, he also reaps, and usually in greater degrees than he sowed it. Maybe if there's one big takeaway from this Ask Me Anything podcast is this, sin is serious. It is deadly serious. Sometimes we commit it and think, well, God will forgive me, and then that's the end of it. But but sin actually sows destruction into your life and in the life of those you influence, and you can get forgiveness of that. But that seed is still down there growing until you, until you do the hard work of, of removing that seed from your heart and undoing that pattern. It's like John Owen, the Puritan, always said, you got to be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. At any given moment, one of those two things is happening. And not just in you, in you and your children and 
and those you influence for generations to come. And listen, I don't want to end this on a really negative note, so let me let me do the positive side. That Exodus 34 says that God also keeps faithfulness with thousands of generations. And what it means is that God is much more merciful and healing than our sin is damaging. And, and what that means is that when you sow faith, you can actually break the cycle. Um, God loves to help you break the cycle of sin. I can think of several examples throughout the Bible um, and in my own life where I saw somebody break a cycle of sin that um, that blessed their children and their children's children. You know, there's that movie out right now called Jesus Revolution about the life of Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie was raised by a single mother who struggled with addiction and had multiple failed marriages. As a, as a result, as a teenager, Greg Laurie himself experimented with drugs and lived a rebellious lifestyle. In some ways, that's her sin being replicated in him. But then Greg Laurie becomes a Christian, and then he helps lead this Jesus movement, uh, becomes a pastor, founds Harvest Christian Fellowship out there in, in, in California, which is this large evangelical church. And not only has he changed his own life, but he ended up leading his mom to Christ and I actually know his kids, and uh, they've come to faith in Christ, and uh, their kids one day, by God's grace, will come to faith in Christ, and a cycle was broken uh, where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. So, yes, it's true that God sometimes lets the effects of our sin go into the third and fourth generation, but it's also true that one courageous act of faith can change not just your life and your destiny, but the destiny of, of your children, your children's children and the lives of those you influence for generations to come. Mm. In my own life, my father tells a story of you know, growing up in a very culturally Christian home where church was, maybe it was part of their life, but it was God was not that important. And um, being in a, a revival meeting when he was in his early 20s, you know, holding on to the back of the pew as the invitation hymn, Just As I Am, was sung over and over and over again. And knowing that he wanted to let go and give his life to Jesus and then Kind of at the you know the 58th stanza of just as I am, he finally lets go and walks forward. And I think about in that moment, it wasn't just his life that changed because he, he got radically saved. It was it was my life and now my kids' lives, and by God's grace, one day their kids' lives. Um, God can use a decision of one person to change the entire trajectory of a family for generations to come. And sometimes, in another kind of gracious twist on this, God can use the sins of the parents um, for good in the kids to bring them to Jesus. Uh, Justin, who produces our uh, Ask Me Anything podcast here, talks about seeing some of the brokenness of the relationship of his mother and father that led him not only to Christ, but to also change the patterns in his own marriage and in his own you know, fathering. And so um, for those that are known by God and loved by God, Romans 8.28 says that he can use all things for good, including the sins and the struggles that at one point in our life negatively affected us. God can reweave those for good in our life and produce the gold of his presence and the and the brokenness of our sorrow. All right. Well, that was really helpful. I appreciate that, Pastor JD. That was a good, good, helpful answer. Again, just wanting to understand how to read our Bibles really well. I, I appreciate being able to dive into some of these hard topics and try to figure out how do we read the Bible even when we get to places and sections that are harder to understand. So thank you so much. Well, we hope you come back next time to the podcast. And in the meantime, we would love it. If you would, if you want more from Pastor JD, if you're just like, man, every time I listen to this podcast, we get to the 10 minutes or whatever it is that it takes, and we get to the end, and I'm like, man, I wish I could just hear J.D. talk about way more stuff than that. I got good news for you. JDGrew.com. J.D.'s social media. It's J.D. content all the time. Uh, it's content from the summit. It's content from other things that he's doing, articles, podcasts, sermons, all kinds of good stuff, books. So if you enjoy the podcast and you want more from Pastor J.D., please go to JDGrew.com. Please follow J.D. on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I don't think JD's migrated over to TikTok yet. We'll, we'll figure that out maybe. We'll see what happens with there. But we would love if you would follow him there or go to jdgrew.com for more resources. And we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.